when times get tough, when situations are uncertain, how do you respond? Where do you go for answers? Who do you look to for guidance? And what do you do for comfort? Some look to themselves. They, they adopt the bootstrap mentality. They, they pull themselves up and, and work their way as best as they can through their problem. They rely upon their own wisdom for answers and their, their own strength for comfort. Some rely upon others, friends and family, for support and courage and comfort and strength. Some call upon the, the experts, depending upon the problem, depends upon the, the expert they, they call upon. If it's a medical problem, they look to the medical professionals. If it's a financial issue, they consult a financial specialist, a spiritual problem, a pastor or church leader. Well, it's not bad to use the, the God-given wisdom and, and strength the, the Lord provides and has blessed us with and, and, and rely upon the friends and family, especially our church family and, and medical professionals and Christian leaders when times get tough. We know God works providentially through those individuals. Where are we to go first? Where are God's people to go first? What's to be our first response. What are we to think? How are we to respond? Where do we go when times get tough? We learn our answers to those questions in Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn there now. Luke 8, continuing our study through Luke. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25 this morning. A very familiar story to many of you. In this small passage, Luke records for us one of the great miracles of Jesus during His earthly ministry. As we have said in the past, each miracle recorded in Scripture serves a specific purpose. We, we learn a lot about the person and work of Jesus Christ in the miracles He performed. They communicated specific things to those in the audience in, in Luke's day and the gospel writer's day and to us today. At times they served evangelistic purposes. At times Jesus performed miracles to reach out to those who did not know Him to show them that He is the Savior and to draw them to Himself. He performed miracles to indicate the saving work that he was sent to accomplish. For example, he raised Lazarus from death to life to show that he is the resurrection and the life and that in and through him, one has life even though they die. He shows through his miracles that he came to remove darkness, sin, sickness, sorrow, and death. He came to restore broken creatures to their Creator. He came to wipe away tears. He came to bring hope to the hopeless and bring lasting joy to our sadness. Jesus also reserved certain miracles for His disciples to reveal to them how they are to live their lives for Him. Certain miracles were meant to reveal how to live the Christian life in the context of suffering. 
how to be a Christ follower when tough times come and the storms of this life hit hard. The miracle in focus this morning is that kind of miracle that serves that kind of purpose. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Let me read the passage for us and then I'll draw out some, some key principles for us from this passage. Let's read it together. This is God's word, believers. Hear it. One day he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's pray. Father, speak to us now by your Spirit through your Word. Equip us to hear it. Prepare us to hear it. Equip us to live our Christian lives faithfully for you through the darkest of times and the most difficult of storms. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Believers, there are three key truths we learn from this story. One, we learn that trials are the norm and not the exception. Two, we learn that Jesus is to be sought and trusted in the midst of trials. And number three, there is purpose behind trials. First, notice trials are the norm and not the exception. Look with me again at verses 22 through 23 of Luke 8. One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water... And we're in danger. Here at the very beginning, we're introduced to the conflict in the story. Every good story has conflict, right? And in this story, the conflict is the windstorm. Jesus has his disciples get into a few boats. We learn in Mark there were a few boats. And, and Luke, his focus is primarily on the boat that Jesus is in. But he does say they when referring to the boat. So there's more than one boat. And he says, let's get in these boats and let's go to the other side of the lake. And as they're out on the water, a windstorm came down on the lake. Not your typical storm. The wind was so strong that the water from the waves, we're, we're told in, in other accounts that they were, they were breaking the ships and they were, they were filling the boats and they were in danger. The story as Luke tells it, 
makes it seem as if this storm came upon them quickly and without warning. Had there been signs before setting out, they might have had a back and forth with Jesus about the safety of this venture. At times, storms can come upon us without warning, can't they? Your day's going like normal and you get a phone call that there's been an accident. You go for a routine checkup. The doctor comes back and says that there's a problem. You're with your loved one one minute and they're gone the next. There are people with stories like this through this room, in this community, and beyond. We, we shared a few stories with you at the first of service, which should tell you and me something. It should tell us that the life that we are living right now is filled with trials. Our life is one of losses and crosses. Trials aren't the exception, they're the norm. They're the rule. Jesus said that himself, did he not? John 16, in this world you will have what? Trials, tribulations, difficulties. So often we respond to the storms in this life with our hands raised in confusion. We, we treat trials as if they're the exception and ask when they come, why is this happening to me? I had this happen to me this week. Personally, this shouldn't be. Why, Lord? We've grown fat and happy in this Western world so much so that we expect to be exempt from trials when they come. While we shouldn't go looking for them, believe me, they'll find us. We shouldn't be surprised when they come. Trials are the norm because the world is broken. That will continue to be the way, believers, until the Lord returns and fixes this broken world and comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. So folks, when the diagnosis comes, when the economy wrecks your retirement plans, when you lose a loved one all too soon, that's just life telling us, welcome to this fallen world. Do you realize that Jesus was subject to these things in life? Not only in his death, but in life. We're not told of Joseph, his father, during his earthly ministry when he's adult, right? Probably lost his father all too soon. Jesus experienced this. Should, should our master walk a path that his disciples do not walk? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 18 through 20, when he, he, he talked about them being hated and rejected by the world. Look at it up on the screen. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He tells them what happened to him. 
is going to happen to them. He walked the path of trials and tribulations, and we have to walk it as well. Jesus teaches His disciples this very lesson on this very day in this account. He shows that our lives are filled with trials, with storms, with losses and crosses. They are not the exception, but they are the norm. So don't be surprised when they come, but do look to Jesus. That's point number two. First, trials are the norm, not the exception. But second, we're to know as well that Jesus is to be sought and trusted in the midst of trials. When the storms of this life hit, what is your first response? Is it to hit the road instead of hitting your knees? Trying your best to, to work your way in your own strength out of that bad situation? Or is it to hit your knees to fall before Jesus, to look to Him for rescue, to, to seek Him for deliverance. We learn in this story that while our lives are filled with trials, Jesus is the solution. When the storms of this life hit, the answer is not man up. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The answer is not look within yourself. The sun's going to come out tomorrow. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. None of those are the answers. None of those are adequate. The answer is Jesus. When it's bankruptcy, the answer is Jesus. When it's cancer, the answer is Jesus. When it is the loss of a loved one, the answer is Jesus. The answer to the greatest problems in life must come from outside of ourselves because these great trials in life are too big for us. They will crush us, but not Him. They're not too big for Him. The answer is Him. Because He is greater than, than any trial we face. In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Tony Evans, when commenting on this verse of Scripture, said this. It's a lengthy quote, but I don't want to deprive you of any of it. Look at it. How can we have courage to pursue God's agenda in the midst of tribulation? Jesus gave us the answer. I have conquered the world. Regardless of how the world beats you down, you have reason to live with bold faith because Jesus is the sovereign king over the world. He has defeated sin, Satan, and death. If you are a believer, your eternity is secure. And Jesus has the power to overrule your earthly circumstances. Knowing this truth and maintaining an intimate relationship with the Lord will radically change your perspective as you face whatever obstacles come your way. His peace gives you peace in the midst of life's crises. True. We learned that lesson in this story. Look at verses 22 through 24 again. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. 
And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. When the storms of this life hit, how do you respond? The disciples go to Jesus. They woke him, cried out to him, Master, Master, we're perishing, and he awoke. Now don't pass over that too quickly. Let me ask you two very important observational questions here about this text of Scripture. Number one, what is Jesus doing during the storm? Sleeping. When does he wake up and respond? When, they, when his disciples call out to him. That's important. While this windstorm is raging, Jesus is sleeping. When his disciples come to him and say, Master, Master, we're perishing immediately. The Savior is awake. The storm doesn't wake Jesus up, but the cries of his frightened, needy disciples do. While the storms are, are too much for us, they're not too much for Jesus. That's why our first response should be to cry out to Him. And when we do, He hears us and He responds. In this story, He calmed the storm. He woke up, He rebuked the wind and the raging seas, and they all ceased and all was calm. That is power right there, isn't it? Think about it. Is there any force more out of control than the weather? How arrogant are we to think that we can control climate change? What are we thinking? When everything goes crazy outside, that, that is the reminder to us that things are out of our control, right? That's a result of the fall. God placed us in authority over creation, but when we became unruly toward God, He caused creation to become unruly toward us. It's a reminder to us of the fall. Yet we see here that Jesus speaks and the storm ceases. What is, what is Luke showing us here? He's showing us who is in the boat with the disciples. Luke is drawing our attention to the person and power of Jesus. He especially does that when, when he shares what the disciples do and what they say about Jesus next. Look down in verse 25. Notice how they respond. And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Notice first they were afraid. First, they were afraid of the fierce storm. But when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, they became even more afraid of the one who was in the ship with them. They thought they were witnessing great power in the midst of that great and terrible windstorm until they witnessed the superior power of Jesus. Brett Wagner, when I was studying through this text of Scripture, he directed me toward this quote. It's great. By John MacArthur. Look at this up on the screen. MacArthur says, This fear was not fear of being harmed by the storm, but a reverence for the supernatural power 
Jesus had just displayed. The only thing more terrifying than having a storm outside the boat was having God in the boat. I love that. They no longer feared the wind and the waves, but the one who made them and controls them and tells them what to do. They feared the God of the storm who was in the boat with them. They were afraid. They, they marveled. They got a glimpse on that day of who Jesus is. He is creator God. He is the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the creator and sustainer, the ruler over all. They marveled at him. They learned on that day, listen, that the God of the storm was in the storm with them. Same is true for us believers. The God of the storm is in the storms with us. Now it doesn't mean he'll always respond to our storm in the same way. Sometimes he rebukes the wind and the waves of tribulation and brings calm right away. Other times, He allows for the storms to rage on for a time, but there is purpose in both. That's one of the most difficult lessons for us to learn as believers. I'm still learning it day in and day out, but it's true. His response to your storm may not be peace be still. Stretch out your hand and be healed. Come forth from the grave. Yet our response, no matter what his response is, should be blessed be your name. Whether he gives or takes away. In the land that is plentiful or when we're found in the desert place. When his blessings are poured out or when the darkness closes in our response should be like that of Job though he slay me yet will I praise him however he chooses to save believers whether in life or in death know this he is in the storm with us and we are secure in him therefore when the trials come do not look within there is no strength there in and of ourselves. Do not look in others, but look to Him and know that for those of us in Him, in Christ, there is courage and comfort and strength in the storm in Jesus and know that in Him, in Christ, there is also purpose in the pain. That's the third and final point. There is purpose behind trials. While certain trials catch us off guard and confuse us and are difficult to explain, none are without purpose. There is no such thing as meaningless suffering for a believer. There is purpose behind every pain, substance in every sorrow. God does not waste suffering. There is purpose in it, meaning behind it, designed to it, and lessons to be learned from it. God is not to be blamed for the suffering that we endure in this life. Many often try to blame Him. Go back and read Genesis 3. We wrecked the world. When He created it, He said, very good. And then Genesis 3 happened where man rebels. And everything got messed up. 
God could have washed his hands of us and said, I've had it with man, I'm done. But instead, he chose to enter back in and work in and through the midst of the mess of this fallen world to bring restoration, to bring redemption once again. Praise God for that. Notice what Jesus tells his disciples in the midst of this storm. Look at verse 25. He said to them, where is your faith? Here's the lesson. It's one of faith. When storms like this come your way, believe me, the disciples had storms coming. Jesus asks, where is your faith? He is letting His disciples know the only way you're going to make it in this life, the only way you're going to stand when the world comes crashing in on you is if you believe on Me, look to Me, place your faith in Me, and follow Me. When tough times come, you're to turn to Me. When tough times come, you're to believe on Me. When tough times come, you're to trust in Me. When tough times come, you're to follow Me. When all the lights go out, when nothing else makes sense, when the darkest of trials and most difficult of storms comes your way, you're to look to and place your faith in the God of the storm, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers, when the storm comes, where is your faith? Do you understand that storms are not the exception, they are the rule? Do you understand that Jesus is the answer whether He stills the storm or allows it to rage on for you? Is your hope and trust in the one who controls the wind and the waves? I pray that you, by God's grace, would know God does not waste suffering. There is purpose in it, meaning behind it, design to it, and lessons for you to learn in it. Pray that you would know however the Lord chooses to save, that He is in the storm with you and you are secure in Him. David said it best in Psalm 27. When the Lord delayed bringing him relief from his enemies, he said this, look at it up on the screen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Is that your desire? Is that what you seek more than anything else? Listen, sometimes in the trials of this life, you have answers to your questions there. Maybe you're here this morning and you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, but you're in a dark and difficult place and you're having a tough time making heads or tails of what you're going through and how to endure what you're going through. I want to encourage you this morning to respond in the way Jesus calls for here and the way David does here in Psalm 27. Go to the Lord. Think deeply on who He is and what He's done for you and look to Him and trust in Him and follow Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're suffering, but 
What I've been sharing with you about the the God of the storm is just completely foreign to you. That any sort of hope and happiness and joy can be found in the darkest of times. And the reason why is because you don't know the God of the storm. I have good news for you today. You can come to know Him this very day, this very hour. But for that to happen... You must first realize that not only has the the world been ruined and wrecked because of sin, you have been ruined and wrecked because of sin. You have forsaken the Lord. You have turned away from Him. You have gone at life on your own, apart from and opposed to Him. He created you to live for Him. For his glory and you rejected that and are now separated from him because of your sin. You must come to realize that. While God in the very good beginning created us to live in a relationship with him under his rule and reign. We, we rejected that. We chose to go at life on our own. That's the way some of you have been living up to this point in your life. You have failed to live the life God created you to live. You've been trying to maneuver the best way you can through this dark and difficult world on your own, trying to carve out your own existence apart from God. God commands us to forsake that way of living and give our lives up and over to Him. And He has made that possible for us. He has made a way for us to be restored to Him by becoming one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son became one of us. He entered into the mess of this world. Entered into this dark, sin-stained world as our light and our salvation. He came... To live a life of poverty and suffering for us. And he did it perfectly. He endured the darkest of trials. The most difficult of storms for us. By laying his life down in our place at Calvary. Dying a a painful death on a shameful cross for us. Enduring God's wrath for us. In order to, to save us from the most dark and difficult of storms. God's wrath that will be poured out on sinful humanity. He lived, died, and rose again so that he could forgive us and rescue us and raise us up to life in Christ. Through Christ we're saved. Through Christ we're restored to God. And God tells us in his word that what is required of all men for them to be saved is for them to repent and believe on Jesus. To forsake sin and place faith in Christ alone for salvation. Have you done that? Is Christ Lord of your life? Have you taken the reins of your life? Have you given them over to the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray you would today and be saved. Let's pray together.